And that was the first time I started to realize that from a creative process standpoint. I really love getting teamed up with other people and their ideas and, and helping them see how great their idea can actually become and sort of take it beyond what they even had envisioned. That's Graham. As a musician and sound engineer, then as a producer of film and television, and now as a general contractor and home builder, Graham has taken the puzzle pieces, flipped them over, and made sense of the big picture in order to tell the story. He finds the creative process of collaborating most rewarding and spends his downtime with his wife and their three kids. I'm Angelica. Stay tuned for my semi-weekly chat. Hi, Graham. Hi, Angelica. Thanks for joining me on Chatty Crafties, a show where I celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art. Your wife, Amanda, was on episode 26, and I knew from that conversation that I wanted to get you on the show as well. And also from hanging out and like talking about all the things that we What did she about. say about me? She, <laughs> it was all really good stuff. Our kids go to the same school, and since we're into kind of the same stuff creatively, plus we all have a similar sense of humor, it's all been super easy and fun to hang out with our families and play tabletop games like dog, which <laughs> was a wonderful thing that you introduced into our lives and that we steal from you every once in a while. <laughs> it's a good one to steal. It is. So the first kind of segment that we do is a, a weekly inspiration. My inspiration this week is I, I'm in this group on Facebook called I'm Like a Rotisserie Shithead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's only a recent occurrence that I've joined it, and it's spurred from an adjacent group called My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is a podcast. Mm -hmm. This group was all about fashion. I've been really inspired by the looks on there. Mm. And what I think is really amazing is this group is full of fashionable people, but they're also super supportive and encouraging, and there are lots of gender expressions and body types and people of color and ages and ability, etc. So I'm inspired by what I'm learning mm. Um, from different people and how to be encouraging, but also how to be a better ally, mm. you know? But also, I'm feeling bolder in my fashion choices yeah, during the go. day. And also, like, what my kids are wearing, too. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> like, this look you've got, I need to kind of reinforce it. So that's my weekly inspiration. Do you have anything that's been inspiring you this week? I think the inspiration for this week was actually what we talked about on the phone a little bit yesterday and the conversation I had um, with a mutual acquaintance. Mm -hmm. And we both got fired up about both the challenges of developing spaces and property and houses and buildings in Austin mm -hmm. and sort of this kind of broader vision I think we both had about what we think it can look like. And I think there's some Good examples of it uh, that are being played out in really interesting ways with the Community First Village. I don't know if you're familiar with no, that. So an organization here in town called Mobilos and Fishes, which mm -hmm. mostly they, they kind of got their start doing food trucks and meals for homeless people around town. So they just kind of drive around town and kind of help uh, the homeless community with food and whatever they might need. 
Um, and so the uh, Alan Graham, the guy who started that organization, has had this vision to basically create a community. And after many years of working on it, he finally got it off the ground a few years ago. And it's really incredible. You need to go check it out. His big statement about um, homelessness is that there's you know lots of different factors that come into play of why people end up in that place in their life. Um, but probably the biggest contributing factor is a catastrophic loss of family uh, and community, I think is the way he puts it. Uh-huh. And so really what they're trying to do or what in, in, in a lot of ways have achieved is not just giving people a place to live, but is giving them a family. And so if you go out there and from a really practical standpoint, what's really interesting is that it's a combination of these micro homes and there's a couple hundred of them out there in phase one they're getting ready to do phase two where they're going to build a couple hundred more we're going to um, join in with them and build a couple of them and they're you know uh 200 square foot little units that they don't have any plumbing they've got electricity in it they're all arranged in these kind of little neighborhoods where the porches all face each other oh that's such um, a good idea they all have communal kitchens so each little neighborhood will have this beautiful outdoor kitchen where they all come to cook and then they also have communal bathhouses and bathrooms Uh it's really amazing to see what community ends up looking like for these people and part of the vision out there is that all of these people you know who are formerly homeless that are out there they all pay rent they all get Mm. jobs out there as well so they've got a lot of partnerships with different local businesses uh the draft house partnered with them to set up an outdoor movie theater a lot of the residents that's what how they work and earn a living or they've partnered with um like i think uh, one of the local dealerships um set up to train them to be able to do oil changes and so you can go get your oil changed out there and pay them to to do your oil changes like you would anywhere else but it's local residents in of that community that that's their job and so they give them jobs they give them dignity they give them a choice you know and where they want to live and what kind of rent they want to pay because there's a there's a range all the houses are different they had a lot of the first round they had a lot of really talented architects who you know participated in doing a lot of different designs and they just started the phase two kind of round of all that anyways in this conversation i was having with this mutual acquaintance was really interesting because we were talking about how incredible it is when you see that work out there and it's like that's how it should be developing inside the city you know austin is like everybody wants to move to austin and you know the way development's set up we're kind of fighting against development but we're also like the parameters that have been put in place kind of Encourage encourage these big kind of monstrosities of houses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people really don't need a lot of space. And it's like we have, you know, in the urban spaces, there's some bigger pieces of land. And it's like you could build relatively small housing setups that even potentially do have some communal kitchen setups and encourage people to sort of live together. It's like you have your private space, but you also have your public space and you have genuine social interaction as opposed to Mm -hmm. so much of our community tends. I'm I'm not, um, I don't want to put down online communities because I think there's something really valuable to that, but people can use it as a substitute a lot of times for real human interaction. Totally. And with these houses that are so big and like the one we're kind of pointing to is the one next door to my house is they don't really even have an outdoor space to go hang out in and go interact with their neighbors so there's nothing to encourage them to talk to anybody else 
And so I love the idea of having these spaces, you know, where you're actually forcing, not forcing, but you're encouraging not, You're encouraging it. I, I remember watching the behind the scenes of a Pixar film, um, and it was all about how the Pixar offices were set up. And it was so fascinating. It was like, you know, a kid's dream, mm -hmm. you know, and you have thousands of employees. And one of the things they talked about was how intentional they were about where they set up the kitchen. Even as big as this office was, you know, normally most offices, most corporate offices would put little kitchens all over the place. So people wouldn't have to walk very far to get to a kitchen. That way, it, oh, you know, sure. increases efficiency. You know, you walk 20 paces and get your lunch and come back to your desk. And so they created these central kitchens, central bathrooms with the you know, sort of explicit understanding and the intention that you'd have all of these spur of the moment conversations and interactions with people, you know, the person that you've been emailing with and sort of interacting with on this digital level, all of a sudden you have a real face-to-face -face interaction. I think that same concept is what we tend to be missing in the way that we build houses a lot. And especially sort of in the I think the mass market of what's being built in a town like Austin. Totally. And I feel like this is a really good segue into talking about your company, Curate Custom Homes. How do you get to scratch your creative itch with the home builds? I think there's this very sort of base level, which is I get excited about on the development side of, of thinking, how do we get to uh, impact people's lives in a really intentional way? I, I think that, you know, I've told people part of the reason I made the shift into home building from what I was doing previously in producing television shows was that uh, there was something really unique and exciting about making a piece of television that a couple million people would see you know, mm -hmm. and they'd watch. But they're going to watch a 30-minute show and they're most likely going to forget about it. Hmm. And it's like you have this very brief impact but across a very wide reach yeah. in terms of the size of the audience. And... For me, one of the things that's been really interesting uh, and what I really love about building is that you're building often for just, you know, one family. Mm -hmm. And the process that we go through in, the, in building their home, we get to have an impact on pretty much every part of their day, day after day after day. And that lasting impact is, I don't know, to me, inspiring. Um, and I feel like it, it makes me more creative in thinking about how their home is set up to both encourage the way their life looks now and how they want their life to look, and, and in also in selfish ways where I'm like, yeah, I tend to sort of push for outdoor spaces that yeah. make them interact with yeah. their, their neighbors. <laughs> and so I really, I find myself often thinking through, you know, what it would it look like if I'm in this home? How yep. do I approach this home in a way that uh, I think really encourages, you know, uh, an exciting creative life for them. Yeah. So do you and Amanda, do y'all do the designing as well? Or do y'all work with architects? And... We, we prefer to work with architects. We are fortunate enough to get to partner with a lot of really talented architects in this town. And so we're not driving the design um, mm -hmm. on everything that we do. We sometimes have a little bit more hand in that. Some people bring us on to their projects because they've seen sort of the way in which we approach housing ourselves and they want to bring that to their own space. And mm -hmm. so we get to have a little bit more uh, involvement in that. Um, we do some degree of spec development in terms of we're the ones driving the whole project. You know, we don't start the project with a homeowner already in place. And so we're going to sort of take the risk of building a home that we're then going to sell. And we get to have a little bit more fun and freedom in that. Like I said, we'll, we'll still work with an architect, but, you know, drive it sort of in this weird dual role where we are both 
the client, you know, mm-hmm. for the architect in terms of thinking about, oh, what should this house be like? Yeah. And at the same time, also, we're the builder. So we're thinking about it from a really pragmatic standpoint and also an execution standpoint. Yeah. But all of that allows for a lot of creativity. And I think that there have been projects that we've done that have been really challenging in terms of the interactions with all the parties. And it's really easy to get disheartened and feel like, you know, whatever creativity you had in that sort of gets stifled. And it's like, I just want to get through this. Sure. But I often try to take a step back and look at it. And it's much easier when you get beyond the process to look back at it. But even in the moment, try and take a step away to gain some perspective to see that it's as hard as it is, is it's actually making it better. It's making for a better home for us as builders and in allowing us to make it a better home for the people that are going to be there, yeah, you know, living definitely. in the end. Do you and Amanda work on projects together or do you all kind of like take one and she'll take another? No, we definitely work on stuff together. Amanda's role is very much sort of on the design, interior selections. She's such a good people person. Yes. And that's part of what makes her really well suited for expressing her creativity in this way yeah. uh, is like she can connect with people and really get to the heart of what they're looking for and what they need. She sort of focuses on that uh, design side. There's some projects where I'll put my opinion out there a little bit more than <laughs> yeah. others um, and some where I, you know, rein it back and I'm just trying to stay involved as a builder. And some projects we're both working on uh, at the same time where she's handling design stuff and working with clients and trying to get selections brought in. And um, and I'm, you know, constantly pushing her for decisions and yeah. you know, <laughs> so that I can keep moving forward. Um, and then other projects where, you know, it's early on in the process. And I'm kind of, you know, giving some input as needed. But, you know, it's pretty time for the builder to come in and, gotcha. and get involved. And so it's kind of nice. So one of the things I love about it is that we get to work with each other pretty much every day. Yeah. And so we're constantly bouncing ideas off of each other. I like that. I like it a lot. Prior to Cure It, you delved into storytelling through film and television, which you mentioned mm-hmm. briefly a minute ago, and started by going to school for a film degree. What kind of projects did you work on? Yeah, I went to school uh, to get a film degree. And really, at the time, what I thought I was going to do was I was sort of transitioning out of this period of my life where I thought I was going to be a recording engineer, you know, focusing mostly on music. You know, I went to the University of Texas and they didn't, they had like two classes that had anything to do with recording music. It's like, oh, this is not a thing I can do at this school. Yeah. Uh, but they had, you know, it was like, oh, I could focus on sound over in the film and television department. And I made my entire education sort of tailored towards just doing sound. And so I would kind of approach every class. I would tell the professor like, hey, what I'm really interested in is sound design and doing the sound side of this creative process of storytelling. Uh-huh. And and then I'm like, I don't, I don't really want to be a, a writer, director like everybody else. Like, this is just what I want to do. I'm like, is there a way in which we can kind of make my role in this class focused on that? And a lot of the professors were super happy for that because so few people wanted to do that within the film school. And what was really exciting to me was that, especially within the student side of filmmaking and, and to some degree within the independent film mm-hmm. world, uh, I think there was a lot of directors and writers and producers who just sort of thought about the sound side of it as this kind of afterthought. It sure. was like, okay, well, I guess we got to get somebody to sort of mix it and make it not sound terrible. Gotcha. And so what we discovered, me and my buddy, was like, one, we really loved the creative process of kind of thinking about, you know, what is at least 50% of the experience of watching a film, right? And we could 
kind of run wild with it because a lot of these directors in school, like just, were, they were kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, do whatever. And so we could take, you know, maybe it was a, you know, mediocre film and turn it into something really special just by really getting into the sound design and mm-hmm. adding all these different layers to what was going on, both in the story and just the overall soundscape. And that was the first time I started to realize that from a creative process standpoint, I really love getting teamed up with other people and their ideas and and helping them see how great their idea can actually become and sort of take it beyond what they even had envisioned. And that's something that I, I slowly, I kind of think, learned more and more about myself over the years. And as I transitioned out of school, you know, I kind of worked within the film industry. Um, I was involved in a independent film called Chalk. It was a feature film uh, that some friends were making. I started out doing some sound work in it and Mm -hmm. then transitioned into a producing role. And kind of right at the end of my college career, we were making that film and then it was kind of out into the festival circuit and then made its way into a very short theater run around the country and then, you know, off to... I do remember at one point it was in Blockbuster. When Blockbuster really? was still a yeah. thing, there was a whole wall of DVDs at Blockbuster. And for me, what I realized was like, oh, as a creative producer, I could get started very early on with with people, you know, with writers and directors who had really great ideas, but, you know, for whatever reason, were limited in their own ways that they were thinking about it creatively. And so I felt like, oh, I could help sort of bring out the best in them and bring out the best in their idea. And as a producer, I could I can now sort of pull all the pieces together to really make that vision uh, into what, you know, we sort of, like I said, we sort of elevated it to be, right? Is there's creative endeavors that I think you do because you need, you need to do them for yourself. Um, and then there are creative endeavors I think that you do because you want to connect or communicate something, right? And you don't necessarily know exactly what you want to communicate to your audience, right? But you still feel like you need to, you need to get it out there. And so, yeah, I, I think that um, that collaborative process, part of what's really good about that is, you know, we can have all the intention in the world about how we want or expect something to be received. Yeah. But when you're in your own head, it's so often not how it's received when you actually express it. Um, and I think there's a lot of creativity out there, which again is like really important to do because you're like, this is exactly what I need to do and I'm doing it for myself. But then there's this whole other side of it, which is that it's like, how does this, what does this do for the people who are experiencing it? And for me, like when I think about the television side of it and kind of a place that I got to, and I was trying to develop television shows specifically that kind of achieve this. And, you know, sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't, but you know, there's sort of this epidemic with, especially with reality television, that they're, you know, sort of made for binge watching. It's like, mm. yeah, a show has 100 episodes that exist for it, and you find it on Netflix, and, you know, you can spend 48 hours straight, you know. Which I really enjoy, <laughs> by the way. I, I have no guilt about that pleasure. Yeah, like, no, no. I love it. And I and I love television shows, too. And Amanda and I, will we now, it, like, you know, we'll watch them together, and I love it as well. I think what I've found, especially in, in the side of, you know, being on the side of making a lot of that content, right, is that it's it's a little bit like junk food. Yes. In that it's specifically made to be consumed that way and yes. encourage people to like, okay, you're going to plop down on the couch and not move. Totally. And for somebody like you, 
you, you're a you're a pretty active person outside of your binge watching, you know, episodes, right? And it's very specific stuff that I'm yeah. watching. It's not just like I've wasted three weeks on the couch or whatever. Yeah. And so, but for the vast majority of people who are watching that kind of television, like it's been specifically formulated to keep them in that place Sitting. and keep them watching more one yeah. after the other. And for me, I got to this point where I was like, man, I do not really want, I don't want to be making content for that. I want to make content that inspires people to like, they watch something and then they get up off of their seat and they go out and experience the world. Yep. Which is, is a little bit counterintuitive yeah. <laughs> for when you're like, you're trying to do this as a business and, yeah. you know, and, and this is what ultimately makes a successful show is that they keep watching your episodes and yeah. they look at all the ratings and all that kind of stuff. But what I used to say is it's like, I want to make content that's in storytelling that's expansive in its experience in the sense that it sort of, you know, broadens people's horizons, um, but also sort of puts them in this place of like, oh, that's something I can do. And, yes. and I want to do it now. Like, yes. I don't need to sit here and keep watching television like I can get up and go out in the world. And I think that's where this really interesting part of the creative process that I, it's, you know, it's it's a little bit harder to pin down because it starts to feel a little bit like you're just creating a product because you're trying to elicit a certain response. Mm -hmm. But I think there is something really important there of like, what is it that you want people to experience out of your art? And not all art needs to do that, but I think it's, there's some creative endeavors where it's, it's really good to sort of be thinking about that. And I think that's where, you know, the collaborative creative nature tends to really work really well yeah. because you have somebody else who's also seeing it and, and feeding and, off of it exactly and bouncing off of each other and i can totally see how you transitioned from that into a general contractor oh it's so similar yeah it's, it's really i mean there are times where you know i i don't go into it as much anymore but when i would sit down with clients and they're like so what have you done and i'm like well i've done this and that and i'm like but really i spent the last 15 years making television shows and they're like that doesn't sound anything like <laughs> uh, building houses. Yeah. How, wait, why would I let you do this? And I'd go through and explain to them, you know, that I think in a way what you're doing, the easiest way to explain the correlation is that when you're making a film, it is a highly collaborative process. It takes so many different hands and so many different creative minds in order to execute um, it's actually a miracle that it ever yeah. happens. It actually comes together. Uh, and and it, uh, there's plenty of times where it doesn't. Um, but in that, it's like your role as a producer is kind of go, okay, there's this vision, right? And whether it's you know from a script that a, a writer has written or a director, and it's like, okay, how do I now pull all of the people together, you know, make sure I sort of arrange them and kind of set up their relationships in a way that the person with a vision who needs, you know, be able to communicate this to every person it, it has their voice and it is being heard and that everybody hears that direction properly. And often as a producer, you're translating that direction. You're translating that vision to all of these people across the board mm -hmm. and then making sure that everybody's there and all the pieces are in place in order to, you know, execute this, you know, uh, this film in the end. And in the same way with a house, it's like, you know, often we're, yeah, we're, we're taking an architect's designs, you know, and their vision for what it's supposed to be. And then we have the responsibility and the role to pull all of the pieces, all of the materials, all of the logistics, all of the interaction with the clients. We have to pull it all together in order to create you know, this process that ends with a, a completed house. Right. And, you know, it's like, and being able to translate what the vision is out of this, 
you know, plan set because sometimes yeah. sometimes plans are really detailed for architects. Sometimes they're not very finished. Exactly, and, and sometimes yeah. they're not, and so and sometimes you know maybe they are, and the client has different ideas, totally. and they want to explore the design a bit more as you're in the middle of all of it, um, which is happens in film and television as well, where huh. it's like you start down this road and you think this is what our show or our, our story is going to be about, and then throughout the process of making it, you realize, oh wait, at some point it's sort of like the art tells you what it's supposed to be, as opposed to you know the artist saying this is what I'm going to make and, you know, Absolutely. willing it into creation, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that it holds true for film for sure. And I think it holds true for building houses as well is that I think there's plenty of times where you get into it and you realize, oh, wait, the way that this room works, or the way that this outdoor space works or the flow between these things, it's like, this is what it really wants to be. And in my world, everybody's trying, you know, it's like they don't want to make changes. And I think for me, there's this one side of it that it's like, oh, yeah, it's costly to me uh, to make changes. But I really I, I can't sit silent when I'm, you know, sitting in a house that we're building. And I'm like, no, this it really feels like it needs to shift. Yeah. You know, and it's like the house starts to tell you what it's supposed to be. Totally. And I think that's, you know, the the name of our company, Curate, the pronunciation of Curate is is the noun, right? So it's actually spelled the same way as curate, which is what, how most people use this word, which is a verb. So if you're referring to the verb, you say to curate something, right? But so curate is the noun, which has different specific meanings throughout history. For us, the inspiration was that it was actually the role within the Orthodox Church who is kind of like the assistant priest, whose whole role was to actually pastor people and take care of people. And so curate literally means caretaker of souls. Mm -hmm. And so we really love this idea that both we are caretakers in the sense that it's our responsibility for people going through this process as well as their home and in the way that a home takes care of these people right and when they live in it and so it's sort of like there's this idea of really wanting to embody this caretaking responsibility yeah. throughout the whole process that's so lovely what were your favorite projects to work on do you have one that stands out um for film when i think back about my time in film and television a lot of it was spent in television mm -hmm. um i i spent less time within the context of uh, independent film. But that film that I referenced was called Chalk. Um, that was a, a really fun project, partly because it involved a lot of our close friends and community who kind of made it all together. And then I was kind of thinking through, you know, over the last decade or so, a lot of the television shows that I made. And I think that, or I was involved in, you know, I say I made, but really there's so many people involved in making these shows uh, and lots of really talented people. But I have to say, as silly as a show as it is, uh, I was always really proud of Shipping Wars, which is a show we did. We did 100 episodes over seven seasons of the show. Holy smokes. Uh, yeah, it was. It went on for a while. And it, it, it also launched a whole... We, we set up a uh, an office in the UK and a production out there. So there was a UK version of it um, that they filmed a couple seasons of for a while. And it was just a really fun show. The whole concept of the show was... It was about independent transporters, truckers who 
would compete on these online auctions for the job to transport odd and unusual and complicated shipments across the country. You know, most people think of like shipping stuff across the country as like, oh, it all gets thrown on a semi mm-hmm. and that just gets moved around the country. And a lot of stuff does. But, you know, when you've got a weird random statue that you've sold to somebody on eBay and the thing weighs 20,000 pounds and it's awkward and it's bigger than a, you know, a freight truck or wider in a weird way, you're not going to just call a freight company you know, most of the time and be able, they're, they're just going to be like, ah, oh, we can't deal with it. But there's all these independent transporters around who oh, uh, you can ship things through. Yeah. And so it's this really fascinating world. The show was just really fun to make because of just really great characters and mm-hmm. people. And it was, you know, we had, making that show, you had, you know, five or six uh, small crews kind of all around the country all the time filming with different people and lots of that material coming back into our, our office. And, you know, a lot of times you're, you're really finding the story and you're sort of writing what the episodes become. And I say writing in that sense of like really crafting what the story was going to be. You know, when you're boiling hundreds of hours down to 23 minutes uh, to tell a story, like you're, you're making all of these decisions. And so you're making them very fast uh, and in an editing room, you know, with a lot of different hands involved to try and get it all pieced together and get it out the door and on the air so yeah. that people can see it. Yeah. Um, and so that was, I, I really enjoyed making that show. I think it was really fun. And then we did, we did a show for TNT called Martial Law Texas, and it only did uh, six episodes, but we, uh, we got to partner with Jerry Bruckheimer Television, which Jerry Bruckheimer is a very big name in mm-hmm. television and film, and it was, it was fun to get to partner with them. Um, but it was a, f- a show about the Violent Offenders Task Force in Houston, which is made up of U.S. Marshals, local uh, sheriffs, local PD, Homeland Security, I think, and a number of other different sort of local and state and federal uh, law enforcement groups. And basically, they were going after violent offenders, so people who had warrants out for them, who were you know running from the law. I mean, it was really fascinating. I'd never been that close to law enforcement in the sense that I you know got my own uh, bulletproof vest that was custom fit, and I still have it. Yeah, it's really fun. And and hung out in the back of unmarked you know cars, where it's like it sort of fed this really weird part of my personality that I'm like (laughs) sometimes embarrassed about because it was like a you know, U.S. Marshal hands you a set of binoculars and is like, here's the picture of the guy we're looking for. And you're like, you know, your yeah. adrenaline's pumping because you're, you know, watching these doorways, expect, you know, waiting for somebody to come out. But it was really wild to watch them work and be so close where they kind of, these guys, I mean, they're really kind of going after the people who've done some really bad, horrific things. And they are their own investigators. They get a, a file handed to them and they are, it's like from that moment, it's their job to track this person down. There's a lot of work involved in finding somebody. And then after that, it's like they kind of call in a few more of the guys that are doing the same thing and they become their own SWAT team to like go oh, bust down mm-hmm. doors and actually go in and apprehend these guys. And so it's really wild where it's like a lot of their job is sort of by themselves in an unmarked car running around trying to track somebody down, you know, sort of chasing all these different leads. And then all of a sudden it's like... Go time. It go time and everybody shows up and you've got 30 of them and everybody's dressed to the nines in, in all their gear. And, you know, there weren't any really big confrontations other than that they they have such a big show of force because oh. it makes whoever they're going after surrender immediately yeah, and so yeah nobody gets hurt them mm-hmm. you know you know both parties included and so anyway, it was really fascinating 
to be so close and to get to tell some stories about sort of the work they were doing. Over the time that we filmed with them, I think we were tracking like 140 different cases. So we spent, I think, five months with them. We had multiple crews kind of following them around. And so we were kind of tracking all of these different cases, sort of waiting to figure out which one would actually be resolved. In other words, would there be an apprehension at the end? Mm -hmm. Because you, in in television, especially in nonfiction television, you don't have the choice to dictate what happens at the end. And so you just have to film everything. Uh-huh. And then... Hope you catch it. Hope you catch it and hope that the story actually goes somewhere that uh, makes for a good television show. Yeah. Because so often it doesn't. Uh, and so you end up... You're throwing out tons of footage because it doesn't actually come to fruition. But those few pieces that come together where you actually can pull the story together. And you have to like weed through it all to like find... Yeah, exactly. The There's story lots there. and lots and lots of digging through footage to try and, you know, figure out where it is. And so there's something really fun and exhilarating about that when you finally do get the pieces together. Mm-hmm. And some assistant editor, editor, you know, of you know out of a team of 30, 40 people who are all working on it sort of finds the piece that you need and you sort of see see the note about it and you're like oh yes this is what we need and yeah it's really fun so I, cool. that, that's a long rambling answer <laughs> there but that was a really fun show for a lot of different reasons you were also a musician you said mm-hmm. what did you play I, I saw a picture of you and amanda that y'all were both playing guitars is yes. that right um yeah so i mostly play guitar i grew up playing piano i had a stint I, you know at one point kind of coming out of high school and beginning of college where uh, I was a music director at a church, and so I led the music for the church um, and, and actually thought that's what I was going to do, you know, probably for the rest of my life. I had a little bit of instruction for guitar and those kind of instruments, but most of it was just kind of self-taught, and I really love it. It's it's a lot of fun. At some point early in my relationship with Amanda, like, she's such a talented musician. She's Her voice a, kills me. It's amazing. And, and it's so wild. You know, she doesn't she doesn't play shows out. She really hasn't in a long time, but when we first started dating and she had just kind of put out her one full album, and so she was supporting it by playing shows, and it was so incredible to watch the effect that she would have on a room full of people. And so, so neat. And so, I remember it was so funny kind of early on, we were like, oh, do we want to play music together? Is this going to be weird? You know, I didn't really want to ask and she didn't really want to ask. And we're like, we're, we're dating. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, it was a real thing. We we're kind of like, oh, this could screw things up because we really liked each other yeah. and um, thought things were going well. And then eventually it got to this point where I was like, I was sort of traveling along because I'm, you know, the boyfriend and she's grabbed a few other musicians and it's like heading up to Denton to go play a show. And at some point I was like, you know, I, I can play bass, right? I, I can I can figure <laughs> I can out the banjo this. parts yeah. to your songs. I can play the electric guitar. I was like, I can learn enough. It'll make traveling to shows a lot simpler if I just do those parts for you. And and so we kind of got in your groove for a little while and cool. had a lot of fun playing together. So it was fun to play, especially with her stuff. And you know, she had worked with some really talented musicians on the arrangements. And so it was more like I just get to learn what these really great musicians had already put together, and I can just sort of support her in that way. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. We don't, in in terms of playing out, we don't play a ton together. But we often, I think she probably sent you a photo of us playing together at a wedding. Yep. It's funny whether it's sort of my old friends or acquaintances or hers that, you know, will often get asked to go, you know, play at weddings. And Mm -hmm. so it's fun. I feel like there have been quite a few weddings where it's like we don't 
we'll not have played music <laughs> yeah. together at all for such a long time. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, here we are. You know, it's like, yeah. we need to, we need to learn this song so we can go, you know, play oh, for our friend's wedding. It's so always, fun. and it's always so fun. Yeah. I love that. Um, you also mentioned woodworking and visual art. Uh, can you tell me about some projects that have yeah. stood out? Yeah. So it was funny. I was actually processing with Amanda yesterday about, you know, this dilemma that I have, which is I'm like, I, she, I was like, I don't know what my art medium is. And, mm-hmm. and she was kind of, she's kind of going through all the things. Well, you do this and you do this and you do that. And I'm like, ah, I guess so. Um, and, and we were talking about how even her process of, of, of going, of you interviewing her um, for this podcast had really reminded her, you know, that sewing is this great, you know, sort of uh, creative place for her because she there's no editing you know there's no self-editing for her she just kind of does it it's sort of like so therapeutic and she doesn't really filter it she's just oh this will be fun let me just try this you know and she does lots of and you know as she says random shitty things you know that she (laughs) that are being really great you know in their own way and i think to some degree uh woodworking is that for me uh which sounds really terrible when you know I'm a home builder and I get I get really <laughs> picky with carpenters, you know, yeah, and yeah. I'm you know and I'm really pushing them for really high levels of craftsmanship. Yeah, and uh, and mine tends to not be very high level, but I love doing it. So like, I was thinking, I was like, what what have I actually done semi recently? Uh, so I did you know our our bookshelves in our living room, oh, which I had yeah. actually uh, designed and modeled them after uh, these bookshelves that. Uh, Donald Judd has out in his in his library out in Marfa. They've got all of his spaces turned into museums, basically. But he has these this part of this kind of warehouse space that has this massive library of all his books. And I just love the way they took two by twelves and put them together to make these shelves. Very utilitarian. Mm-hmm. There's something really simple about the form. And so, anyways, I was sort of took his yeah. proportions and was like, it was you know not long after I had made my you know, most recent career transition and was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to spend two days, yeah. you know, making these bookshelves. And I made, uh, also around that same time, I made the loft for Edie in her room. Yeah. So my daughter, who's eight, I guess it was a couple years ago. So she was, she was five, maybe six. And she has really tall ceilings in her bedroom. And we'd always kind of thought it would be fun to have a loft in there. And so it was kind of like over a week, I was like, all right, I'm going to build a loft. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I've like, I've never built a wooden ladder before, but I'm going to figure that out. And, you know, and it's kind of shitty. And, uh, uh, but I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do for railing. But oh, I kind of got some ideas and I, I kind of really liked how the railing turned out on it. And it was fun. I was actually really happy and proud of it when I was done. Even, even like I said, it was, that was kind of shitty. And then Edie did not want to sleep up there. No, she, she was like, cause it's like, I think it's it real up, tall. It's really tall. It's like nine feet off of the ground. And so, you know, even though it's got a guardrail on it or whatever, it, even when I get up there, I'm like, Ooh. it feels a little yeah. scary. Like you take a little slip and it's pretty far down there. Yeah. <laughs> and she just started sleeping in it oh, uh, good. Like every night, like uh, a few months back, which I'm like, oh, great. That's yeah. Hilarious. And now I feel like I, I was so angry about it for yeah. a while because, yeah. you know, Amanda was, she was like, no, 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 don't push her to go. I'm like, why did I spend all yeah. this time? <laughs> Building this loft, and then, you know, in hindsight, maybe I was building the loft for me, you know. Totally, (laughs) totally. Will you send me pictures of the bookshelf and the loft to include in the blog Yes, I actually was like, I I was digging through them last night Mm -hmm. uh, to send them to you. Um, 
Yes, so I found some that I can Oh, awesome. You. Yes. Perfect. I'll so, send you those. yeah, so there's a blog post about every yep. episode where I, I have links. And so I'll put curate links in there and also the one to um, the film and television shows. And that way people can kind of dig around for cool. more. Um, and then you'd, I think you'd also asked about yep. the visual. Amanda brought it up uh, when we were chatting. Yesterday. I'm very excited about this story, by the way. Yeah. Um, do you know? Did she tell you no, this story? No, I know nothing except okay. what you wrote in the email. So. Yeah. So she was like, "Well, you're also a visual artist," and I'm like, "No, I'm not. What are you talking about?" You know. And she's you know, using the term in the traditional sense of visual art. She was like, "You know, the the print that you did." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I guess that does qualify as you know visual art." And so uh, basically, it's a linoleum block print that I made. I've never done a linoleum block print before, but it's mostly typography in the way that I designed it. But it was actually the way that I proposed to Amanda. And so... so uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so it's, uh, And it's funny. I forget about that it lives up on our house on a wall. And we've been married for... 13 years now and and it's like yeah you just forget oh yeah that yeah. was something that happened I spent a our, lot of time on that yeah I remember it was like yeah for a week straight I was like I don't know what I'm doing and trying to get tips from all my friends on how to like carve out little linoleum blocks and you know this this long phrase that I had had written and um and so anyways the the, the way that it actually went down was that we've been dating not that long we had already had the conversations. We knew that we were going to get married. And so then it was a matter of which it's, you know, it's as a guy and the pressure of like, okay, I'm going to propose. She's sort of expecting. I think at some point she was like, look, if we're going to get married this year, you know, while I'm on summer break, she was teaching at the time. She's like, you better get your button gear yeah. and like, and ask me. And, you know, and so then you're kind of like, well, how the hell am I supposed to surprise you then? Yeah. Like, this just seems... And so I kind of got into this mode, which I occasionally get into in my life. I, I have a whole other creative medium, which is like figuring out how to either play pranks or trick people or surprise people. I had this idea. I was like, okay, I want to make this piece of art um, that has a phrase in it, basically in it asking her to marry me. And then I was like, I need to find an art gallery to put it up in. And then I got to figure out how to get her there without knowing. Oh. And so basically her best friend was the one who was also an art visual artist, employed her services in, in the sense of she's going to help get Amanda to the right place at the right time. And then one of my closest friends also happened to be working at an art gallery called Volatant. And it was downtown in Austin. It was this hot new gallery down there. And he was working as a docent and, you know, he knew the owner of the gallery and had a decent enough relationship with him that we were able to get access. The, the, the sort of, there was the main gallery and then there was this sort of smaller gallery in the back. He let me install the art there oh for gosh. an afternoon. Yeah, basically Amanda's friend, they were hanging out that afternoon, you know, serendipitously. And she was like, oh, hey, our other friend Josh, you know, he's working at this art gallery, Volentant, we should go. And, and Amanda's like, yes, I've been wanting to go visit the art gallery while he's there. Oh, perfect. And so she brought her in and they, you know, she chatted with our other friend Josh who was there and she was looking at the art. And then at some point, her friend who brought there was like, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And like, she goes to the bathroom and I'm kind of hiding in the back, oh kind of, gosh. I think in another bathroom. And then, so eventually Amanda sort of makes her way through the gallery and then comes into this back room and then my prints up there on the wall and I've got a little artist card I didn't have an artist statement or anything but it was just like you know here's the name of the print and my name and so she I could see that she had read through the phrase on the piece of artwork and then she was looking at the 
you know, the name tag and I was thinking, okay, well, obviously it's like clicking in. And so I kind of come out and like kind of surprise her from behind and, you know, propose to her. And she was like kind of shocked and confused. She says now that part of it was that she was like, she was like, oh, look at this beautiful piece of artwork. This is so lovely. And then she's like, oh, what are the odds? There's another (laughs) Graham Davidson that's in in Austin and he's, he's an artist, you know? And so anyways, it was, it was really fun. Oh, Um, I can't believe you surprised her and it worked. I know. And that was the thing was, I was like, it actually worked. It was, it, it all came together thanks to some, you know, the help of lots of really good friends that she was actually surprised. And then she was also like surprised that she was surprised. She was like, how did you, how did you actually make this happen? Because it was like, Oh my gosh, I love it. So I'm also going to need a picture of that. uh, Yeah, I did get a picture of that. There are seasons where I've had it memorized. Oh, sure. (laughs) So I actually took a video so that I could actually see what it says. (laughs) It says, something brand new has already begun. Will you not see it? My heart has been stolen. Will you not seal it? You hear my voice beckon. Will you not answer it? I ask for your hand. Will you not give it? How'd you come up with that? It's a paraphrase of a proverb. Okay. Or pieces of a proverb, yeah. Yeah, so anyways, that's my one venture into you know, <laughs> visual art making, doing linoleum block prints, well, you um, did which it. was fun. Yeah. And, and it, now you can call yourself a visual artist. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, that frog is so damn loud. It's, I think it's kind of nice. It, it's nice. It makes for weird <laughs> editing. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and like the airplanes. Like there are times when I'm like, I oh. guess this whole thing is in here because of the. Yep. The no, I, we used to have a library full of cicadas and different kinds of airplanes that we would then like lay over because it's like, oh, here's a weird edit. Now yeah. we've got to add the cicadas back because we're, yeah. <laughs> we're in Texas exactly. and everything's got cicadas underneath it. So. Totally. What does being creative do for you emotionally? How does it make you feel? I think it makes me excited. Mm-hmm. And it also, uh, it relaxes me, which sounds like two opposing things. But I think there are plenty of times when I'm excited and I get I get really pent up. When kind of going through the creative process, it's like I'm both excited. And, but at the same time, there's it's, there's almost like relief, you know, in the process of being creative. Really in the, in, in the modes of creative sort of expression where it really, it's solely creative. There's not a lot of the pragmatic stuff being thrown into it, right? You know, because that tends to make it stressful sometimes. Yeah, but, yeah, know. totally. What do you like about collaborating? So as I kind of talked about earlier, I I used to feel really self-conscious about being creative and whether or not I was even creative, especially having lots of really good friends who are super creative and... I always sort of felt like I'd get in a room and I'm like, what do do I have to offer? You know, because they'd have really clear sort of like, you know, whether they're writers or musicians, they have a thing that is really theirs. It's like, this is their sole creative expression. And I'm so spread out in some ways uh, because I I get inspired by and I like so many different things. So what I, I, what I started to learn after I sort of worked through some of that insecurity that I was experiencing was that, I finally came to the realization that I wasn't an idea person in the traditional sense that like my friends who are really good idea people, like they have hundreds of, of ideas all the time. Like every day they wake up and their brain is firing. They're, and just, they're just thinking. Like, they're, they're thinking. They're like, oh, I could do this. We could do that. We could, you know, one after another. And for me, it's like I occasionally have sort of that, that idea that pops up, but it's 
they're much fewer and you know farther in between and uh they really sort of are born out of lots of sort of very deep i think emotional yeah yeah (laughs) places but what i learned in that was that i didn't need to be that idea person to be creative it took me a while to figure that out but what i noticed was that i really loved connecting with those people because we sort of both we both need each other and I've been involved in creative partnerships that didn't work. And then I've been involved with things that did work. And what I've definitely noticed is that when different personality uh, types and different creativity types can come into these creative relationships with hu- some humility and sort of awareness of what your strengths are, right, is something really kind of cool can happen. And so for me, I'm drawn to people who have lots of ideas. And I love the process of kind of helping them filter through and it's like okay Mm. i'm hearing all of these ideas which on one hand can be really overwhelming but on the other hand i'm like stop no go back three ideas that one that's the one that has potential to really connect with an audience Mm -hmm. um and so then it becomes sort of my job and this is you know very much the way a creative producer works you know in the context of film and television when they're working with lots of creative writers and directors is kind of going that's it stop right there okay let's develop this and really explore this and expand this and kind of keep them focused on that and then sort of help bring all of the other pieces in and so what i found was that it was like okay my gifting really suits that environment well when everybody sort of understands how they need each other in that which Mm -hmm. You know, there's there can be a lot of ego involved in creative endeavors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and so it's like, uh, yeah, that it works really well when, yeah, there's definitely, you know, people expressing their creative opinions, right, and their vision, but at the same time also realizing it's like, oh, wait, we need other people. Uh, or often we need other people, um, especially in, you know, things as collaborative as you know, making film or television, yeah, you know, or definitely. building houses. And so anyways, I, I, I start to find that I really uh, live off of that. How are you with solving problems? Do you have a reaction to like making a mistake or trying to find a, a solution to something? What do you mean? Like, well, this is something my therapist asked me mm-hmm. yesterday. When I come across these problems that I'm having trouble solving, like, yeah. oh, crap, I keep deleting this thing. It's not making a box yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, my therapist asked me like, how do you react to solving uh-huh. a problem? You know, what is your emotional reaction to it? Yeah. And so. Yeah. No, that's a that's a really interesting question. I love therapist questions. Mm-hmm. They're always gonna, you know, they're always good. They're, yeah. Uh, well, they're mostly good. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they're, they can make you really angry. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think generally my reaction is I tend to get really worked up and want to solve it. Like my experience for the most part whatever task I'm trying to complete, like gets totally derailed when I sort of find those problems sometimes because I love the puzzle. And so it's both, I get frustrated and I'm like, why is this not working like I want it to? And at the same time, I'm like, everything else tends to like get thrown to the side because I'm like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to figure it out so that I don't run into this problem again. And so it's this funny little balance that I have to be like, okay, it's okay to like, go through that, you know, uh, that problem solving process. But it's also really easy for me to get caught in the weeds with some of that stuff. (laughs) Especially, I have to be really careful about how and when I visit job sites that we're working on. Because my intention was I was going to be there for 10 minutes. And then it's three hours later and I'm (laughs) like, 
Oh, I've got a lot to do. I've yeah, got I got leave. caught up in something here. Totally. What patterns have you seen in your creative processes? In some ways, sort of staring at a blank page is just, um, it's frightening to me and also like not inspiring. And so what I love is starting from, you know, working with somebody else who, you know, has that initial idea and it's like, okay, how can we develop this and uh, carry it through? When I look back at all my different creative endeavors in my life, I really notice it play out over and over again. And I think that's where, you know, as you get older, you kind of have to, you start to come to terms with who you are and how you've actually been created. And it's sort of like how your brain works. And it's funny, it's actually one of the things why I, I really like what you're doing with this podcast, because I think you're inspiring a lot of people who maybe don't think they're creative or maybe they don't think that they're the processes they go through in their life are creative because I felt like that all the time for so long and and it's like no man it is it is crazy how creative everybody is yes man a good idea is a good idea doesn't matter where it comes from there's this part of our culture where it's much easier to say there's the person who's responsible for it you know give them you know the applause right yeah um and it makes everybody else feel a little bit like, eh, yeah, I'm not very creative. Right. But the reality is everybody has this amazing ability and opportunity to, you know, be involved in the creative process and they're usually expressing it. They just maybe don't know it. That person never gets the credit, you know, yeah. for their creative input in this that the person at the top, whether it's the producer or the director or the writer, is going to get. Yeah, and I, I also think there's something about um, society that makes us a little self-conscious, too, to yeah. say, like, oh, I, I do creative things, yeah. or I am a creative person. Like, just the acknowledgement of it. There's some baggage there. Absolutely. I mean, the moment I tell you that I'm a woodworker, and then you put pictures of my crappy bookshelves <laughs> up, and it's like, I'm. I mean, there's a risk that it's like, again, all of the really talented craftsmen that come onto our job sites that I'm always pushing to do better work. And they're just like, uh-huh, you're a woodworker. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, uh, yeah, you know yeah, what? I, I, am. I, I don't care. If, even if it is crappy, I still really enjoy Exactly. <laughs> like, and I feel like that is the point yeah. of doing anything for like hobby or work is like getting some enjoyment out of yeah. it. It's not just to like make a thing and like sell it and sure. somebody else gets to use it. It is that feeling of like, God, this, this was really great to do. Even if it is for like your kid to use three yeah. years later, you know, like to have that special moment of like, I, I did it. It felt great. And I'm sharing it with someone. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? Yeah. So I think the title I would give myself is the collaborating elaborator. I love it. Which is a total tongue twister. And <laughs> I love to collaborate with people and I love to help them elaborate whatever this kernel of an idea is. I really enjoy this one. Like as a poet mm -hmm. in my early days, yeah, there's like a lot of rhythm yeah. to this. It's great. Well, thank you, Graham. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to our listeners. I hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. To learn more about Graham's Austin-based home building company, Curit, go to chattycrafties.com and click on this episode's blog post. I have several links and photos. You can also check out his film and TV projects as a producer and sometimes director, photos of his woodworking and proposal art, and more. Thanks to Matt Norton of Berm and Swale for the introspective intro and outro music. 
the episode was hosted and produced by me, Angelica Norton. To help build a broader, crafty audience, I'd love it if you rated and reviewed Chatty Crafties on iTunes or wherever you listen. If this episode made you want to get out your idea book and find a collaborator, it's time to go make some art. There's a frog! There's so much frog! There's so many frogs! <laughs>